When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and an active participant in trying to become anti-racist. I'm also a big fan of history. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, anything weird, dark, funky from the past. So each day, I'm going to share a few of my favorite deep cuts with you. So let's take a look at today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so... I'm gonna teach you stuff, no it won't be tough Gonna go a year till you've had enough It's 365 Today in 1956, the U.S. Supreme Court affirmed that black students couldn't be barred from state undergraduate universities because of their race in a ruling that was part of the long fight to desegregate American schools. A lot of the discussion around desegregation tends to focus on K-12 schools, where segregation remains a huge issue, even today. But it's super important to understand the history of segregation in America's universities, some of which fought tooth and nail to keep Black students out. That's what we're going to talk about today, so let's reverse on this thorny and challenging topic. Historically, Black people have faced major discrimination when it comes to education at all levels, but there has always been extra hurdles when it comes to the arena of college admissions. Higher education wasn't even available to Black people in the U.S. until the 1820s, and even then, very few were admitted to college. From 1826 to 1910, just 693 Black people graduated from the nation's mostly white colleges. Think about it. Over the course of nearly 100 years, that's only 700 graduates. Something was clearly deeply wrong, and nobody was doing anything to fix it. Because Black people were barred from going to most colleges, HBCUs, or historically Black colleges and universities, were created to provide them with higher education. But as important as HBCUs were, and still are, it was still incredibly unjust that Black people could be denied admission to universities based on their race. What's more, public higher education for Black students suffered from an unequal allocation of resources from the federal government. Slowly, people began to fight against segregation, and specific aspects of it became illegal, usually thanks to court rulings. Black enrollment in segregated universities began at Southern law schools or graduate programs, but the biggest landmark decision came in 1954 with Brown v. Board of Education, in which the Supreme Court ruled that racial segregation in public schools was unconstitutional. The decision rejected the idea of separate but equal, finding that racially segregated public schools denied Black students equal protection under the law. The ruling was directed at K-12 schools, but the question was, could it also be interpreted as applying to universities? The University of North Carolina certainly didn't think so, which is what brings us to today's moment in history. In 1955, two black brothers, Leroy Benjamin Jr. and Ralph Kennedy Fraser, along with a friend named John Lewis Brandon, submitted applications to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The young men had graduated from Hillside High School in Durham, and their applications came complete with letters of reference. 
but about a week later, they each received identical rejection letters, which said that their applications were denied because Black students weren't able to attend the undergraduate program at UNC. The students appealed the admissions decision to the Board of Trustees to the university, which responded with a resolution saying that Black applicants would not be admitted to UNC's undergraduate schools. The Board of Trustees probably thought that was the end of that, but it wasn't the end of the fight. Not by a long shot. The young men bravely took their case to court, asking the court to declare the board's stance unconstitutional and asking to stop UNC from barring Black students on the basis of race. In a victory for the students, the court ruled that even though the facts of the Supreme Court's ruling in Brown were specific to lower-level education, the thinking behind the high court's ruling was applicable to higher education, too. Ultimately, the court said that its decision applied to all Black students seeking to enter UNC, writing that Black people could not be excluded because of their race. The Board of Trustees appealed the decision to the Supreme Court, which affirmed the lower court's ruling. The young men were represented at the Supreme Court by Thurgood Marshall, who later became the first African-American Supreme Court justice. He played a major role in advancing racial justice during the civil rights movement and was a fierce attorney. As a lawyer, Marshall argued a stunning 32 cases before the Supreme Court and won 29 of them. Wow, that's definitely a guy you want arguing on your behalf. As for the three young men in the case, they became the first black freshmen to go to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Alas, the Fraser brothers eventually transferred to finish their studies elsewhere, citing a hostile environment at the school. One of the brothers, Ralph Fraser, told the Associated Press that they were barred from the golf course and university-owned restaurant, and that at football games, the three students were seated in an area with the custodial workers, who were also black. While the court case certainly didn't end all university segregation in the South, it was an important step forward. The case was cited in a number of cases in the battle against segregation, and the three young men became the first black students enrolled as undergrads at a traditionally white public institution in the southeastern U.S. Interestingly, as one academic noted, the success of the case is in part thanks to the actions of students, since the young men were recruited at their high school by UNC student activists. So never think that as a student, you can't create big changes because young people have been challenging the status quo in this country for years. Now we're going to hear from an amazing guest, Quinn92. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Quinn92, and March 5th is an important day for me because today I released my fourth studio album entitled Change of Scenery 2. This album is important to me because it allowed me to remember why I love making music to begin with. It reminded me what I was inspired by the second I started writing things with my childhood friend, AOK, and it really brought me back to a place of um, nostalgia and something that I felt like I was lacking with music. It always kind of felt like work these past couple of years. And so to do something that was very refreshing and doing it with a childhood friend like AOK, it reminded me of why I love doing what I do. So March 5th will always be a very, very notable day for me. Go check out the album. It's out now. And now for our final segment today, I'm going to look into my own photo archives and see what I was up to on a March 5th in my life. Looks like on March 5th, 2019, I think that I had a sound check for my first show that I was ever doing in Chicago um, on my tour for Plum Blossom, which is my little baby EP from 2018. Um, I played at shoe bus in Chicago. And I was really nervous. I um, didn't know what to expect. 
I was all by myself with two of my people that I was working with, my photographer and merch person, Hannah, and my tour manager at the time, Abby, both who, who are very lovely people and I miss them lots and being on tour with them was so much fun. Um, yeah, but that was my first show that I played on tour. It wasn't my first live show, but it was the first um, first time that I was like going on the road basically. So yeah, and my soundtrack. I don't remember needing it to be very long because my show for a very long time was just me and my ukulele. So soundcheck literally took like 10 whole minutes. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow. If you don't mind, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow at 365 Days MXM Tune on your preferred social media platforms. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff. No, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365.